Hey gang, Grant's got the opening take for this episode coming up in a moment, but you're hearing my voice first because I wanted to tell you that like last week, we've broken this episode up into two parts because Grant and I just couldn't stop talking about college football. Part one will be all Oklahoma talk, followed by part two tomorrow, which will include some Big 12 discussion. Grant tells you what it was like going to that Minnesota-Penn State game, and also In part two, we'll talk about the newest college football playoff rankings that came out Tuesday and about Oklahoma's chances to make that playoff. So without further ado, here's part one, beginning with Grant's opening take. I'm going to be completely honest with everyone. I don't feel too great about Oklahoma's chances on Saturday night against Baylor. But I will admit this. I think it's completely emotional. Whenever I break down the game like I usually do with analytics and individual matchups, I think this is a game that Oklahoma should probably win. However, we're all still remembering the warts that have been on display the last two games, and it's pretty easy psychologically to convince yourself of something that might not be totally rational. So, here's what I'm going to try and do today. I'm going to attempt to put my positive hat on and give you reasons why you should not be worried about Oklahoma in this game against Baylor on Saturday. Number one, Oklahoma is more talented, deeper, and could also be a bit healthier than Baylor. For as much as we like to talk about matchups and different variables that could impact games, talent is still going to win out a vast majority of the time in college football. This doesn't mean that Baylor doesn't have really good players. They definitely do. Oklahoma just has more of them. All right, number two, Baylor's offensive line might be kind of crappy. Charlie Brewer has been sacked 17 times in the past five games. Seven of those sacks came in one game against West Virginia, and five of those sacks were from the Stills brothers, who both play on the interior of the defensive line. Who is OU's best pass rusher and best defender in general? That would be interior lineman Neville Gallimore. Baylor will have to dedicate extra resources to blocking Gallimore, which could open things up for Ronnie Perkins and the other pass rushers. Also, starting left tackle Connor Galvin is expected to make his return to the lineup for the first time in over a month on Saturday, but honestly, who knows how healthy and effective he will be. Number three, Baylor does have the best defense in the Big 12 through the first six games of conference play, but they haven't played Oklahoma. This wouldn't be the first time an opponent brings a heralded defense into the game and then later is embarrassed by the sheer magnitude of OU's offensive attack. TCU's really good uh, units the last couple of years instantly come to mind with that. Baylor has put a lot of good defensive football on tape this year leading up to this game. Their defensive line is probably the strength of their team, not probably, certainly is the strength of their team, and James Lynch is probably the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. But things are a lot different when you're lined up across from Creed Humphrey, Marquise Hayes, Jalen Hurts, CeeDee Lamb, and Kennedy Brooks. OU can stress Baylor's defense in ways other teams couldn't even dream of before this game. And finally, for number four, if OU can come out hot, they have a chance of burying Baylor. Baylor was held scoreless in the first half against TCU last week and have been held scoreless in the first quarter of four of their six Big 12 games. How about Oklahoma? They've outscored their opponents in the first quarter this season 114-21 to and have held their opponents scoreless in the first quarter in six of their nine games. So if OU can get out to a multiple-score lead, that could make Baylor one-dimensional on offense and allow the defensive line to tee off on Brewer and that maybe mediocre offensive line. 
Here's hoping that the Sooners can get mentally right over the course of this week and reinvigorate their season Saturday in Waco. The last two games have not been pretty for the Crimson and Cream. But the good news is, it doesn't have to matter. One week of good preparation and then 60 minutes of good football can do wonders. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Kennedy Brooks, the back. They're going to hand it to Brooks. Up the middle, stumbling. Breaks a tackle to the 40. Cuts outside. 35. He might go again. 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5. Unhits the wagon. Put the ponies in the ball. Kennedy Brooks, 49 yards to Painter. That's Kennedy Brooks providing the intro for today's episode of West of Everest. Brooks' second touchdown run of the game gave the Sooners a 30-point fourth quarter lead over Baylor last season. Oklahoma went on to beat the Bears 66-33. And on just eight carries, Brooks went for 107 yards and those two scores, helping the Sooners move to 5-0 on the year. Moving forward this season, Brooks will be an even more important part of Oklahoma's offense now that Trey Sermon will miss the remainder of the year with an injury. Hello, everyone. I am Lee Benson. You heard Grant at the top of the show with his opening take today. I'll ask Grant what he thinks about the Oklahoma running back situation now that Sermon is unfortunately out of the picture. That's coming up later in the show. Plus, I spoke to John Hoover of the Franchise OK, the Inside OU and Locked On Sooners podcast back on Monday this week. He brought up a theory to me about Grant Calcaterra that I hadn't considered yet, and I'll see what Grant thinks about that theory. Also, Lincoln Riley's great response to a question about fans leaving games early. Of course, we'll look ahead to Oklahoma's matchup with Baylor. And then at the end of the show, we'll let Grant tell us all about going to the Minnesota-Penn State game this past weekend. Huge win for the Golden Gophers. For all of you out there who stick around to listen to us talk college football around the nation, that should be a fun segment later on today. As far as this show goes, you all know what to do. You can leave us ratings and or reviews on iTunes if you'd like. West of Everest Facebook page at Lee Benson News 9 on Twitter, at Grant Benson 25 on Twitter, email westofeverest at gmail.com. You all know the drill. Let's get right into it and bring back Grant to the fold. Trey Sermon and Kenneth Mann, both out for the season with injuries. Lincoln Riley announced that on Monday. Grant, what are your initial thoughts on those two injuries? Really sucks. Um, when you're looking at Trey Sermon, of course, I mean, he's had he's had a weird season. Um, in the, in the month of October, well, I mean, he didn't, he barely really carried the ball at all. And then he gets, he gets one carry against Iowa state and that's, you know, he tears his ACL presumably. So, um, you obviously you, you hurt for, for him as a person, just because, you know, he's a hard worker. He's been a great sooner. Um, hopefully that's something he can rehab and he can come back next year and be okay. Um, and the same with Kenneth Mann. you know, I, I'm sure he, he went through some hardships in the summer and in the off season, recovering from an injury missing the first few games of the season. And then, um, you know, he'd actually, you know, he, he had been a pretty valuable rotation piece for them on the defensive line. And so, you know, a, as we get into attrition season, losing bodies on the defensive line is never good. So, yeah, I mean, this is, you know, a lot of teams are dealing with injuries at this at this time of the year, and it's just, it's it's never fun. It's, and uh, it's, it's something that you're, that the team is just going to have to deal with and move on. Yeah, Trey Sermon, really good dude. Terrible for him to go down like this. I remember how pumped up he was for the start of this season back in August. I remember him talking about how he gotten faster and he felt like he had put himself in really good shape to kind of get ready for this his third year at Oklahoma. And you kind of brought it up a little bit, you know, how weird it's been for him over the last month or so. And, you know, we all know beginning with that Texas game, his role decreased significantly. He didn't touch the ball at all against Texas. In fact, Sermon has had just nine total carries 
since he rushed the ball 11 times against Kansas back on October the 5th. Again, just nine carries combined for Trey Sermon in the last four games, just 40 yards rushing for him. Still, though, even though his touches had gone way down, he was still playing a lot of snaps. He's a really good blocker out there, and the fact that he, along with Kennedy Brooks and Ramondre Stevenson, throw TJ Pledger in there as well, all those players are still incredibly fresh at this time of the year. It's that's a blow to the offense losing Trey Sermon, even though, again, he hasn't been touching the ball a whole lot too much. And talk a little bit about the running backs right now. We're hoping that Ramondre Stevenson is okay. I talked about how on the last podcast I thought he might have gotten a little banged up against Iowa State. A little bit of positive news, I, I guess, maybe, because Lincoln Riley briefly did mention Ramondre Stevenson along with Kennedy Brooks and TJ Pledger on Monday when he was talking about the running back room now that Trey Sermon has gone down. So, you know, hopefully Stevenson is fine moving forward. However, if there's a world where it's only Kennedy Brooks and TJ Pledger running back, because I'm not sure if Marcus Major is available at all, certainly it's a bit dicey just having two running backs. So, Stevenson certainly is incredibly important. And I know we were texting earlier, I guess this week, Monday, uh, Sunday, you know, is about Jeremiah Hall. Is he going to be that emergency running back for Oklahoma if it ever comes down to this? And I remember earlier on in the year, maybe even in the preseason, bringing up a scenario where if Oklahoma had to play Jeremiah Hall or had to go deep into the running back room, it, it'd maybe be Hall. And at the time, I was hoping that that would not be a reality, but if one other player goes down, there could be a situation where Jeremiah Hall's got to step up and maybe play some running back, Grant. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't know who else would be the the emergency running back. I mean, it makes sense to me. And they still have they still have three presumably healthy bodies, so I don't know if that's a huge concern yet. But I think when you're talking about the impact on the team, especially with Trey Sermon going down, the very first thing I think of is pass blocking. He's a Trey Sermon's an excellent pass protector as a running back. Um I mean, how many plays last year did did he pick up a blitzer right before Murray was, you know, was was delivering the ball? I mean, a handful of times, like big, big blocks that he made. So um, that's the first thing that kind of comes to mind. It makes me wonder if Baylor is really going to try to maybe blitz up the middle a lot or something to test out the pass pro of, of Kennedy Brooks. And I mean, presumably, Ramondre Stevenson and TJ Pleasure, I, I guess I'm not... Uh, it's you know Pledger got a carry in the in the second half last week before Stevenson did so I don't know if that was because Stevenson was banged up or uh, but I mean yeah it's it's not it's not great this is this is not a great scenario you would prefer to have you know all your you know all the bullets in the chamber and that's certainly not going to be the case here in November for OU they're really going to have to come together and they might they might have to piece this thing together with you know with with string and bubble gum but. Um, they're they're still they're still gonna have more depth and more talent than anyone else they play until uh you know until a potential bowl game, so uh, it, it's all gonna be about m- being mentally tough and just and just trying to put together a game one quarter at a time. And yeah, just quickly on Kenneth, man, I feel the same way you do because we all know he worked really hard to get back healthy to be available for this season after missing a large portion of the beginning of the year, and to have his season end yet again with another injury that's. That's tough for him. I know there's some decent depth on the defensive line, that group, but he's been getting snaps, and he was able to work his way into a role, and so that's a spot that Oklahoma will have to find a way to replace now moving forward the rest of the year. As for the other players who went down on Saturday night, so that would include mainly Adrian Ely. I know Trey Brown was shaken up at one point, but he did did come back into the game. So 
mainly Adrian Ely, let's go with. Lincoln Riley said that he doesn't know about his availability for the Baylor game. Riley adding that there's, quote, potentially positives out there, but we'll see how this week plays out. So Adrian Ely missing time would certainly be a bad thing. I don't think anybody would argue with that. We already saw him miss Texas Tech and Kansas earlier this year before coming back for that Texas game. In his absence Saturday, R.J. Proctor came in to play left tackle while Eric Swinson moved over to right tackle. Grant, you were saying that the Oklahoma run game suffered after Ely left the game on Saturday. And on the last podcast we were talking about this, I wasn't sure if that was the case because I wasn't watching very closely for that initially. So I went back and rewatched it. And Ely was injured on the first Oklahoma offensive snap of the fourth quarter. And by the way, that play was a run play and they lost five yards on the play. And after that, Oklahoma had only four more called run plays the rest of the entire game, and they totaled 12 yards. Obviously not great stats, but honestly, to me, only one of those plays do I think Ely's presence may have resulted in a better block. I thought Iowa State's defense was crashing hard on the run and making plays difficult for Oklahoma to execute in the running game, as far as I could tell. And as far as Ely's injury goes, watching it back, it, like, it kind of looked like he got rolled up on, and you, know, you probably saw the replay before when you were watching it live. It didn't look all that bad to me on the TV broadcast, so I'm kind of hopeful. Yeah, I bet he tweaked his ankle Ely. or something. Yeah, and then actually, Hopefully I was going to say, yeah. I was going to say Riley saying potentially positives out there. I, I think that's about as close to a confirmation from Riley that he's going to play that you're going to get. Like that's. Coming from Lincoln Riley and media availability, him saying there's potentially some positives out there for him, that's like the that's like the most glowing endorsement we've gotten the entire season about an injured player. Well, let's be clear, he didn't mention Adrian Ely's name by uh, didn't mention him by name. He said, as for other injuries, I'm not you know I don't know about that. And then the you know there's some potential potential positives out there, but we'll see. So there wasn't a thing where he said. Oh, by the way, Adrian Ely, there's, it looks positive. For, he didn't say that. But, sure, you can read between the lines a little bit on that one if you want to. But, yeah, he's the only other one who is, like, to be determined, right? Because he already, he already said that he doesn't expect Calcaterra to play. So True, true. So, I, a- he was Ely's asked about the Calcaterra only one. later, yeah. I think so. So, let's see. Before we get into the rest of the news and notes, do you have any other other thoughts on kind of the injury situation or maybe some other things from the Iowa State game that you realized after the fact? Or would you like to move on to what else happened this week? Well, I mean, other than I just thinking about it more, and I just um, – I think Iowa State is really good. And um, I've, I've, I've been seeing people already just kind of and, – and you can you can absolutely criticize Oklahoma for playing a terrible fourth quarter and needing – you know, needing that play on the on the two point conversion to win to win the game and keep their season alive. That I mean, that's fair, I suppose. But people treating like uh, treating it like I, beating Iowa State is is like beating a mediocre to below average team. I mean, that's that's just blatantly incorrect. And, and I'm just like Iowa State is really good. They are absolutely a top twenty five team in the country. Um, there, there's not there's not twenty four teams that are better than them in the country. And so I'm. I don't know the the narrative already that OU played like a nail biter against a mediocre team is already out there, and I just want to push back against that forcefully. Iowa State is really good. What I would say to that is, those of you who listen to this podcast and follow Oklahoma football, you probably also follow the Big Twelve rather closely. You should agree with your 
take right there about Iowa State because I agree with it as well. Iowa State's a really darn good football team, and we know that following the Big 12 and following this Iowa State club pretty closely the last few years. However, if you're, let's say, a Big 10 fan or an SEC fan or somebody that doesn't know much about the Big 12 and just follows the Big 12, kind of like maybe how you and I would follow the Pac-12 or you know the ACC, things like that, We'd probably look at the record of Iowa State and think, then eh, whatever, that's not that good of a team, especially if we don't look into the, the you know, who they played and how their results have gone. So I think I think it's fair to point that out nationally as far as maybe if you're on the, the college football playoff committee, I could see how somebody would look at that on the surface and think that's not a great that's not a great close win. But you would think though, if you're on the college football playoff committee, all those guys and gals in that room they're going over every single result pretty closely. And, and those people in that room, you would hope, know that Iowa State's a really darn good football team. And they've been and, – and the committee has been high on Iowa State in the past as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I highly doubt that'll I, – I highly doubt that'll really color what they think in that room. But I just I, – looking at national pundits, I mean, if you're going to give Clemson and Alabama credit for a semi-decent win over Texas A&M – you got to give Oklahoma credit for Iowa State's better than Texas A&M, so you know I don't. It's it's frustrating. I wouldn't argue with that. Iowa State's especially we're talking about this off the air too. Iowa State the last couple of seasons they start getting heated up middle of the season towards the end of the year it would seem they start kind of getting on a roll. The offense starts to play a lot better. I mean they didn't start playing on offense really well last year with the exception of the Oklahoma game until Brock Purdy came in and and he electrified that offense. You know, and early on in the year, Iowa State played Baylor, who we're going to talk about later. And, you know, perhaps Baylor got Iowa State whenever that offense was still kind of in first gear, trying to figure itself out this year. Back in, I they think, didn't have late to face September. Brees Hall. That's a good point. Brees Hall. They didn't know Brees Hall was as good as he is. So, uh, you know, maybe Oklahoma faced this Iowa State offense at a point where it's it's clicking, and through three quarters for the most part, Oklahoma's defense was okay too decent against Iowa State and then in the fourth quarter Oklahoma's defense was was not great at times and a lot of it though too upon rewatching it I gotta say I agree Iowa State's a really good team and Iowa State made a lot of plays Brock Purdy made a lot of plays and Oklahoma at times didn't make it that hard on them but again it's funny how a lot of these rewatches I go back and you know maybe that's just my bias because obviously this is an Oklahoma pro Oklahoma podcast you know, maybe it's part of my bias, but I kind of come away from these rewatches not as aggrieved as I was at the initial watch because I kind of think, man, that was just a nice play. That was a really well done play by Brock Purdy or a great play by Brees Hall, you know, and or so that's so with that. I suppose we can kind of move on to the rest of the week because no reason to dwell on the past a whole lot. By the way, we're recording this Tuesday evening. The college football playoff rankings are going to probably come out while we're recording this podcast at some point, the new ones. So if they do come out, depending on what they are, I guess we'll, we'll mention or talk about it. What do you think? Oh, yeah, that's fine. I think, they, I think it's at 6 o'clock. It's, as I'm saying this right now, it's 5.35. So, yeah, I, I, I'd imagine we'll still be going whenever they announce them. So uh, we will, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it when they come out. I think I'm – last week I predicted OU would be 10. And they ended up being 9. Um, I, I, I think it's – They'll probably be number 10 this week, I, I would guess, but we'll, we'll see in a half an hour. Okay, so I talked about earlier at the very beginning of the show about how John Hoover has a theory about Grant Calcaterra, and you brought it up a second ago. Calcaterra's going to miss his fifth straight game. Lincoln Riley announced that on Monday. 
And by the way, I talked to John. I was on his Locked On Sooners podcast. That's coming out Wednesday. So check out John's podcast. He does a great job. I've been listening to that for the last few weeks. And it is really nice to have it daily comes out. And sometimes even though I follow this team very closely, I'm on the beat, there's some times where maybe I'll miss something. And it seems like John always is kind of on it. He'll have the maybe a piece of information or a nugget that I didn't quite know or hadn't heard yet. So that's a nice podcast to check out. I'll be on there on the Wednesday podcast and curious to see how, how that sounds because I think it re- went really well with John and I. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't blame him if he cut some of it out, maybe if I wasn't interesting enough. So we'll see. But anyways, on that podcast, he brought up a Grant Calcaterra theory that I had not considered. And John was thinking, here's his theory, Grant. He thinks that there's a chance Calcaterra is sitting out the rest of the season and getting ready for the NFL draft. What is your reaction to that? I think that's completely plausible. I don't. I mean, that's that's definitely crossed my mind. Oh, trust your mind, because I hadn't even thought of that until he brought it up. And at first, I didn't think much of it. But a couple of factors now that I've thought more about that kind of do make me think it's plausible. Number one, and you can this might be the same reasons why you think it. So if if they're the same reasons, I apologize for taking them from you. But you can add on to it. It's not. We all know that he's taken a lot of hits in the first two years. Not so much this year, I don't think. He hadn't played as much, obviously, but uh, he's been reportedly out with a concussion, although the school hasn't confirmed that, by the way. We all know that concussions are tricky sometimes. Therefore, he still could be seeing some effects from that. And also, this is the part that kind of made me think, yeah, I can definitely see him thinking, what's the the point of coming back, especially if I'm not 100%? He only has five catches this entire year in five games. And it's not like he's been used much in this offense. So, again, why rush back if he's not fully healthy only to get, I don't know, maybe a target or two per game? Is that kind of what you were thinking? Yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I was mostly thinking that he probably did have like a, a lingering concussion and maybe it did linger on for a week or two after it happened. And, yeah, I mean, it's, it's crossed my mind that maybe he's decided, yeah, this season is it's just not going to happen. Because, I mean, I can, and who can, I mean, concussions, I'm sure, are really scary. And that that could be a part of it, too. It could be a mental thing. But, no, I mean, I think everything's on the table now. I mean, if missing five weeks for a concussion that presumably happened midweek during practice sounds a little odd, for sure. So, yeah, um, it does. Especially because sometimes you have players that come back from concussions after maybe even a week, if not two. So, I think it's, it's all different. It's completely plausible that, yeah, there's some extracurriculars going on there that we're not privy to. And the thing that comes to mind, too, is if this is the case, again, it's a theory that John threw out there and we're discussing it. Would the, are the coaches aware of this? Is this something that Calgatera would be up front and talk to the coaches about and they would be okay with, they would sign off on? I don't know. I don't know. I think if Calgatera doesn't play again the rest of the year, this theory is going to probably hold a lot more weight in a month or so. The other thing, too, from Lincoln Riley's press conference that I found to be pretty interesting, there are some things. Lincoln Riley, he was asked about fans leaving the game. Speaking of John Hoover, by the way, it was John's question, so I'll give him credit for that. And I noticed this, too, up in the, the crow's nest, nest at Owen Field. The student section was pretty barren by the time the fourth quarter rolled around, and 
the weather, it's not like the weather was bad. I mean, it was chilly, but it wasn't that bad at all. I just put a jacket on, you're comfortable. And it was once again a, a, a crowd that left early, and Lincoln Riley was asked if, if he can feel that energy, if the players can kind of feel the, the energy leave the stadium whenever the, uh, there's fewer people in there. And I thought Lincoln Riley's answer to this question was darn near perfect, and I'll play it for you right now. It's our job as coaches and players that we, we got to play to our level no matter what. I mean, that's, that is certainly our job, and I would never put that on our fans or anybody else's fans or any atmosphere or any stadium now. The flip side of that, like I've said up here many times, we have a one of the great stadiums in America. We have one of the great fan bases in America. And when it's rocking in there, does our team feel that? Hell yeah, they do. And when it's not, do they feel that? Hell yeah, they do. Yep. And if you can get online and, and check out the video of that, if you haven't already, I know the Sooner Gridiron Twitter account posted it uh, on Monday. The video is, is even more telling, and I'm going to guess that you've seen this, Grant, have you? Yeah, I saw it. Do you agree with me? Was that not just a perfect way to answer that perfect question? Answer. And yeah, doesn't uh, is, is, is careful to be complimentary of the fan base and um, is praising them when they do well. But yeah, you can, you can tell kind of he's a little irked about the fourth quarter and people leaving. And I'll be honest with you, looking at it on TV, I was a little pissed off too. Um, is that, is that an emotional response? Is that necessarily rational? I don't know. Um, but I, I, I guess it's, um, I guess I just don't really understand. Uh, you know that Iowa State's a good team. You know that this is a big game. Um, and of course, like, I'm not gonna, I'm never gonna be the type of person to tell another person what to do with their time and their money. If they bought the ticket and they want to leave early, they can. I'm a Minnesota Golden Gopher alum. I left numerous games early. But that was also the University of Minnesota when Tim Brewster was there. Not, you know, not the number nine team in the country that's in the thick of the playoff hunt. So, um, yeah, I guess I just I, I guess I just don't understand the mentality is all. Yeah, and you and I have had plenty of experience in that crowd and that student section. I've never left that to- stadium early in my life. Here's the thing, you and I, you know, you went to OU for a year, for a semester. I went there for two and a half. Uh, so it was one football season for you, it was three for me. And we, obviously we've been to other games outside of going to school there. But every time we've been in the student section, we've always gotten there really early to get seats, get good seats. And we've always stayed till the very end. That's just the way we are. And sometimes I look back and I think, you know, we could have probably left um, – <laughs> Whenever they were playing an FCS team, it was the fourth quarter, and they were up by 50 points. You know, maybe we could have left that game early, Grant. We were kind of insane maybe to stay that long, but we didn't. We stayed. But your point is well taken. It's not like Oklahoma was playing South Dakota, and it was the fourth quarter, and Oklahoma was up by 35 points with seven minutes to play. It was a really good Iowa State team. It was a two-score game, and Oklahoma's in the thick of the playoff race, again, against a really good Iowa State team. How you leave that game on a night where the weather wasn't really a factor, I don't understand either. I don't get it, and I'm kind of numb to it because I, I saw the empty seats while the game was going on, and in my head I thought, well, yep, that's Oklahoma. That's what the Oklahoma student section does. I mean, we saw it for years. I mean, everyone that's covered this team, everyone that follows this team, everyone knows this. This isn't breaking news. And so it's that's why I like that answer so much from Lincoln Riley because just uh, his tone at the very end about how – no matter what, 
the team feels it. And then the last little yep at the very end really drove it home that he was, I think he used the word irked. He was. And um, I don't get it. I don't get it at all either. To be fair, though, this is not just an Oklahoma problem. Alabama has had huge problems with this, and it's been well publicized as well. But Nick that's Saban also that's also all about the fans. <laughs> what was that a couple of years ago? Nick Saban actually did it. He didn't use coded language. He uh, I I can't remember his actual language, so I can't quote him directly. But I do remember Nick Saban straight up calling out. I think the students. It was either last year or the year before. Do you, have, uh, do you have memories of that to help me out? Or, yeah, no, or I do. I, it, it was it was okay. a couple years ago. I mean, it's it's been fairly recently. So, and it's not like, you know, I, I see empty seats in the student section of blowouts in, in other stadiums as well when I'm watching on TV. It's just, you know, oh, I, yeah, sure. I, I don't think going up against a, a top 25 caliber team like that, I don't know. It's It, it was disappointing. I, I just hope that's, but... It's it's been a thing. It's been a thing for a long time, and I just I I wish it would stop. But also at the same time, I mean, people value their time in different ways than other people, and um, you know, I guess you're if people are going to make the decision to leave, you can't stop them. Well, they got one more chance. The home crowd does on November twenty third against TCU. We'll see how how that game goes. Obviously, Oklahoma's going to have to take care of business against Baylor because if Oklahoma goes ahead and loses to Baylor, then you can't really blame the students if they want to show up and then leave early for a game that ultimately is not going to matter a whole lot when it comes to the national championship picture. So Oklahoma will have to take care of business, but if Oklahoma does take care of business against Baylor this weekend, it'll be interesting to see how the student section reacts to to being not necessarily called out by Lincoln Riley, but uh, n- being put on notice in a way. And we'll see how many students actually get the information that uh, Lincoln Riley said at the podium. Uh, one more thing when it comes to just going to the games and being in the student section, Grant, that I know you all identify with and maybe some of you out there that went to OU and have been to a lot of games and were like us and went early and got there to make sure you got good seats in the student section. Something that I've noticed the last few years since I've been covering the team now on the beat that didn't happen whenever we were going to school there in the late 2000s, early 2010s, is that early on, before the game even begins, two, three hours before the game, on the big screens up top, they'll actually put on in-action games around college football that you'd want to watch. And you can just sit there in the crowd and watch these games. Whereas, do you remember all the times you go to these games and sit there and there'd be nothing playing in the stadium for two and a half hours or whatever it would be, and we'd just be sitting there in the sun trying yeah. to get on our phones and without any good sell? It was just the most boring time. And now they actually, and we always say to ourselves, why can't they just put, another a, a game or two on the big screen so we can watch some college football and they never did I, we we always thought it was some sort of like rule or something and yeah we figured it was like i always thought it was like a licensing thing uh, yeah and you know maybe it was and rules changed in the last 10 years or last five i don't know but now i mean the lsu bama game was on the big screen so it was the texas game the texas k-state game both of them side by side and if you're in the crowd and you got there early to get good seats in the student section you weren't bored you could just look up and you could watch college football so, uh, I mean, uh, where was that 10 years ago, man? All right. Uh, the last bit of news I found interesting at the Lincoln Riley press conference, Caleb Kelly Grant is healthy, doing well, and according to Lincoln Riley, quote, Caleb Kelly is knocking the rust off, and he'll be ready to help us out here pretty quick. So if Caleb Kelly gets to the point where he, he's able to help this team, 
we might be seeing them in the lineup here pretty soon. Interesting. Do they? I mean, do they do they risk burning that that redshirt opportunity? It sounds like they're they're not going to have a problem with it. Let's see. They have what three regular season games left, plus a Big Twelve title game, hopefully, then a bowl game. The thing is, though, I mean, if he if you really think that he can greatly help your defense and can maybe help you get to the playoff, you got to play him. Oh, absolutely. Got to. Absolutely. And it's up to him, and of course, w- too. If, if, he, if he would prefer to, you know, to preserve his eligibility, then that's fine. But, um, yeah, I mean, if you really think that he can help the defense, you, you got to get him out there as soon as you can. And there was a funny moment in the press conference Monday when Riley was asked about Caleb Kelly and he started giving that answer that I said that quote Caleb Kelly is still going to these media sessions Grant Caleb Kelly was there as part of the Oklahoma student media and so he was in the background back like with all the cameras and stuff and I can't remember if he made a noise or if or if Riley kind of acknowledged him but everyone kind of started laughing realizing that he was talking about a guy that was in the room there too uh, and Riley said no I, I'm not saying this just because he's in the room but I'm saying that you know but this is actually true and he's he's knocking the rust off so that was kind of a funny moment. So Caleb Kelly's still going to these media things, if, in case you were wondering at home. All right, let's switch over to this matchup between Baylor. Let's get to the meat of the podcast. And I think we should start with the Baylor offense versus the Oklahoma defense. And candidly, I think both matchups b- between each team's offense-defense is incredibly interesting in this game. But let's start on Oklahoma's defense because, again, we always seem to start with the Oklahoma defense because it's been the biggest question mark for – the last handful of years and just some numbers to throw out there about the Baylor offense. It's a lot better, honestly, than I thought it was on paper. I've watched this Baylor team here and there a lot of the year. I haven't watched it that closely until the last couple of days. I would never have guessed that Grant, they had a top 25 offense. They were averaging 6.7 yards per play, which is a top 20 offense in that regard. It's a, it's an offense that's, somewhat explosive it's 20 uh, 20 plus yard plays they've had 60 of them this year which is 10th in the nation so uh, they're gaining chunk yardage they've had 26 plays of 30 or more yards which is 18th in the country so they're able to hit off some big plays pretty balanced I'd say passing 270 yards a game rushing 188 yards per game it's a it's an offense statistically that's a lot better than I thought it was and I know it's an offense that you have been a lot higher on than I have been, and why? Why is that? Let's let's go that because I know you've watched a little bit more Baylor than I have because you've seen them throughout the year a little more closely than I've been paying attention. Well, it mostly has to do with their with their personnel. Um, I think I think the obvious weak spot of their offense is their offensive line. In fact, I think it might be kind of bad. Actually, we'll see what we'll see what Connor Galvin looks like. Their starting left tackle when he's back. See if that improves it at all. Um, but the closest I've watched Baylor this season, Lee, was that Friday night game against, or that Thursday night game on Halloween against West Virginia. And West Virginia's defensive line absolutely dominated Baylor's front. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't even close. Um, I single-handedly essentially kept West Virginia in that game. So, um, you know, but at the same time, they got really good receivers, I think they got a nice little one-two punch at running back. They got two guys who are who play off each other really well. They're different styles. Jamichael Hasty is kind of a bit of a scat back, whereas John Lovett is is kind of more of your Trey Sermon type of runner. 
Um, and then I think Charlie Brewer is really good. Although um, uh, a Big 12 writer that I really like, he writes a lot of good stuff, Ian Boyd, he's a Texas guy. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter. He, he tweets a lot of smart stuff. Um, he thinks he thinks Charlie Brewer is hurt and is his arm is shot. And he had some he had some um, he had some examples from the TCU game this past weekend that I thought were pretty interesting. On one of them, he threw a pick over the middle of the field, um, and he kind of broke it down like frame by frame and said, "Look, here Brewer is making the perfect read. The timing is right. It's good. Except when he winds up to put all of his weight behind the throw and he actually throws it, he throws it he throws a freaking duck and it's picked off." Um, and he said, and you know, there were other examples throughout the course of that game as well. Um, and I mean, you can, you can go and look at it too. I mean, he's, he gets everything on his back foot and he puts everything into that throw that he's got. And I mean, it's, it's a duck that goes probably about 20 yards shorter than he was anticipating and it's picked off. So, um, I don't know. And you know, Brewer has taken a lot of hits. Um, he, he's kind he kind of operates a lot in the same vein that Sam Ellinger does, except he's just a lot smaller than Ellinger, and he takes a lot of hits. And so I think if OU can can kind of put some licks on him early on, uh, that that might go a long way to to really depressing Baylor's chances to complete passes downfield, because I'm there. They ask a whole heck of a lot from Charlie Brewer, and I, and I he might be starting to feel it physically a little bit. Brewer has. 95 carries this year and a lot of them scrambling because he's he's only got 211 yards total which is a 2.2 average so to your point he's taking a lot of hits he's been sacked a lot lot too so there's sack yardage in there and we talked about Caleb Kelly a moment ago Caleb Kelly I almost killed Charlie Brewer last year when he sacked him late in that game and like bent Brewer back do you remember that sack where he oh yeah Kelly came in from behind and and yeah, that was that was a big one. So that was a big hit in that game. I was actually just as you were talking about that interception he threw, I was playing it back for myself and I see what you mean. He he puts his back foot in the ground and lets it fly and the ball goes about 40 yards in the air, but it's severely underthrown and the TCU guys pretty easy interception. So yeah, you'd think that he And in the would piece I was throw it a lot a lot and, farther than that. Yeah, and in the piece I was referencing, he actually puts up a couple of gifs there from the exact same play in games earlier this season, the same concept, same formation, in the same instance where he made the same read, the correct read, and he was able to deliver a perfect ball with zip. And in that instance, he was not able to. So, um, I don't know, something something to look out for. Um, but, I don't know. I, yeah, that's interesting. So, I, how, does, how would you say, I know you talked about Charlie Brewer a little bit there, how would you say he stacks up to the quarterbacks, let's assume that he's he's close to you know, 100%. You know, I mean, that's just a theory by boy that he, he might be hurt. But, I mean, Charlie Brewer at you know, full health or you know, 90 95%, how do you think he, he you know, stacks up to the guys that Oklahoma's seen this year, quarterback? He's basically Purdy. I, I, mean, I, think he, I mean, I think he's – I think Purdy's the best, and I think – Yeah, I think, Brewer, I, think, I think Purdy is better, but their, their games are pretty similar, I think. As far as yeah, they're both pretty mobile. They can maneuver the pocket a bit. They get out of there and run. I, you know, I put Baylor as the fourth best team in the Big Twelve in my preseason poll because simply I thought that Brewer was the fourth best quarterback in the league behind Hertz, Ellinger, and Purdy. And I'd say at this point, Purdy, like I said, is the best quarterback Oklahoma's seen this year. And I think Ellinger and Brewer are pretty close, close second. But certainly, yeah, I suppose Brewer. He's definitely 
more of an athlete like Purdy is compared to Ellinger. I, I think it was more maybe Texas game plan too that that hurt Ellinger against the Sooners because how many times they had him sit back in the pocket and try to deliver passes when he was getting sacked all the time and also Texas wasn't able to run the ball against Oklahoma and what have we seen from quarterbacks against OU since then we've seen a lot more quick throws to the slot receivers we've seen more screen passes getting the ball out and attacking the edges more than Texas was able to so I think that kind of hurt him and and Purdy was able to take advantage of a lot of that but as for Brewer though yeah he's a good player he rarely turns the ball over he just has four interceptions this year uh, you talked about that one a second ago against TCU. Three of the interceptions, though, came in, in a close win over Texas Tech back in week seven, and all three of the picks he threw were really bad, by the way. I, I mean, you mentioned his arm. That's something to watch out for. I think, I mean, normally when he's healthy, and, and I hadn't heard that yet, you know, maybe if he's, if he's less than 100%, his arm's not as good, but I think normally he's got a pretty good arm. He's mobile. And against Oklahoma last year in that game that Oklahoma won by 33 points, Brewer threw for 400 yards and two touchdowns. So he, I mean, that's a different Oklahoma defense. Yeah, but. everybody threw for 400 yards last year on OU. <laughs> Who is Charlie Brewer's favorite guys to throw to? Well, Denzel Mims, obviously, is going <laughs> to be the there. one. I mean, that's the guy that we're he most... He changed numbers, right? He used to be number 11, didn't he? I was oh, confused I mean, I don't when, know. I, when I first... I don't know. Yeah, he used to be number 11. I was confused when I first saw him. I saw number five catching passes. Like, Who's that? It's like, oh, Denzel Mims. He changed his number. He used to be number 11. He's like CeeDee Lamb. He, but also, I CD think Lamb like... Lamb used to be, what, number nine? He was he number nine number his freshman year, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think Tyquan Thornton is really good, too. He's got really good body control, and he's athletic. Um, Chris Platt is somehow still on this team. I don't even... I know. I can't believe it. Yeah, he... I think he tore his ACL or something He's got to be like a six-year medical guy. Yeah. I think it's his fifth or sixth year. I can actually check on his his stats right here because I got up that this is his this is his fifth year this is his fifth year yeah all right well I don't know how many more years he has remaining this might be his last but yeah, he's kind of the he's not even the, the third guy he's kind of like the fourth guy because they have another player that I wasn't really aware yeah, no, I'm of trying to like I'm, I'm trying to think of his name real quick RJ Sneed he's got 31 yeah. catches for 352 and three touchdowns so it's mainly Mims and Thornton but uh, R.J. Sneed and, and Chris Platt also factor in a bit. And you know what also? It seems to be a big part of this offense in big moments is the running backs out of the backfield. Hasty. And also you're throwing Treston Ebner. And I noticed this against Texas Tech because I was curious to watch the Tech game because that's a game that Baylor should have lost. And in crunch time of that game, and we've seen later on in the year also in crunch time, especially against TCU in overtime, Charlie Brewer goes to Denzel Mims. No, duh. Why not? He's one of the best receivers in the Big 12. And it seemed like he also liked to go to his running backs out of the backfield with the idea of matching up one-on-one with a linebacker and running some option routes, and specifically more like the old Texas route, which seems like it always works. And they hit Jamichael Hasty and Ebner on some really crucial plays against Texas Tech. And also, they hit Hasty on some crucial plays against TCU to get down near the goal line to get the game-winning touchdown. So I think that's something that Charlie Brewer loves to do. Hey, Lee. And so I don't know how Oklahoma's going to defend that. I'm looking at, uh, looking at the box score right now, the Baylor-TCU game, and I think this may be a little more ammo for this, for this Brewer-is-hurt theory. Lee, he was 27 of 41 for 195 yards in that game. 
Only 4.8 per completion. So that's mm. telling me he was having trouble getting the ball downfield, doesn't it? Perhaps, but we all know TCU's defense is starting to come on very strong right now. How much of that was maybe TCU's defense was really good? It could have been. Because I don't know. He, I mean, he had 277 against West Virginia and a couple touchdowns for, I'm not sure what the average was in that, that game passing, but uh, 20, only 26 attempts, 277 yards. So he had a very nice average just the game before. So, I mean, the question would be when at this, at what point is he potentially getting injured? according to the article you read. I mean, you it know? could have been it could have been earlier in that game. It could have been, you know. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, that's just kind of weird. I mean, right? You throw 41 times only for 195 yards. I mean, that's, that's bad, man. That's not good at all. That's not, that's not a productive passing game. Yeah, TCU's got a good defense. TCU, TCU's got a good defense, even though TCU hasn't, they, they have been nowhere near as good on defense as they have been in the past this year. Yeah, I mean they've no, they, I mean they've had some games where they've just gotten smoked. I mean, was, didn't Iowa State put up over fifty on TCU? Uh, close. I think they put up like forty-eight or something like that. Which you know that goes back to TCU or uh, Iowa State rather. That as the year kind of progresses, they start to play a lot better. I'm looking back at it. They forty-nine. So Iowa State put up forty-nine on TCU. But anyway, you know, I think I, I think OU's biggest advantage when Baylor has the ball is you know is their defensive line against Baylor's potentially mediocre offensive line. The rub to that, though, obviously, is that OU's defensive line has kind of disappeared a little bit in the last couple games. Um, and so I'm, I'm hoping that Neville Gallimore, who I thought actually had a quiet, pretty darn good game on Saturday night. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. I agree. And um, so, yeah. There's a couple it's, plays I, I think on the rewatch that jumped out at me that I, I had forgotten. Sorry. To, I, I think a lot yeah. of it. I mean, th- this this needs to be a Neville Gallimore game because they're based off what I've seen from Baylor so far this year. They are going to have to to dedicate some extra blockers to Gallimore on the inside. They could not handle Devin and Dante Stills at West Virginia. Just, I mean, not at all. Every single play, they were getting the best of the guys in front of them, and Gallimore's better than both of those guys. Um, so I, I think it's and this is not just they. Lee, Baylor was having was having trouble blocking Iowa State in September when they played as well. So you know I'm th- this is the biggest this is the this is I think this is the mismatch that you need to circle if you're an OU fan. Um, they they might be able to blow some plays up just just because Baylor is just not great up front. I'm kind of watching back to more of this Baylor TCU game as we're recording here, and I'm seeing Brewer throw you know, 10, 15 yard slants and outs. And I mean, he reaches back and he's got some, some zip on the ball. I, I don't know. I, I don't know about him being her. I'm trying to just figure out, you know, why he's not being able to push the ball down the field more and why his stats are the way they were. But also yeah, another, be, uh, another stat to lend towards maybe Baylor not being great on the offensive line. Lee, they are ninth in the big 12 in havoc rate allowed on offense. So which means they're getting they're getting hit in the backfield a lot. Okay. So the second most in the Big Twelve. The last thing on this, and I, you, we may have already kind of gone over it a bit, and you may have already emptied the chamber as far as all the thoughts you have, but I just talked at the very beginning of this about how how good the Baylor offensive numbers have been this year. But you mentioned that West Virginia game, only seventeen points Baylor scored at home a couple weeks ago. They only had nine points at the end of regulation against TCU last week, pardon me, 
you know, we've been kind of concerned over the last couple of weeks over Oklahoma's offensive inconsistency. And obviously it's relative because Oklahoma's offense is still incredibly good. But could this be one of those moments where Baylor's actually having even more issues offensively than Oklahoma has? And maybe Oklahoma's defense is getting Baylor at a pretty good time. I think it might be the case because Oklahoma – but I guess on the flip side, you could say Baylor's offense might be getting Oklahoma at the perfect time too. Uh, so we've seen the last two games, Iowa State and Kansas State, come out so well coached and so well prepared to go up against Alex Grinch's defense. And what we have always heard about Baylor is Matt Rule's a really good coach and you would expect that offense to be – prepared and tailored to this defense kind of like Iowa State and Kansas State was so I'm not so sure if if there's an advantage on either side there I I don't know I just thought that'd be something interesting to point out about how the it seems like that offense at Baylor is just it's certainly not as explosive and it's not as successful as it has been the last two weeks as it was the, the previous however many games seven games all right anything else you want to add on that matchup or are you good I'm good. I, I think I think Baylor's probably going to come out with a really good game plan, I would guess. You know, OU's put a lot of stuff on tape the last two games that they can exploit. The one thing that I'm I'm glad that Baylor doesn't have is is a bunch of like H-backs and tight ends that they can be really creative with, just like Iowa State and T and uh in Kansas State did. I thought of um I thought of the remaining four opponents. I thought Iowa State was was the best positioned to take advantage of of, of the things that that Kansas State put on tape. And so I'm just I'm from that perspective I'm I'm just glad they're past Iowa State. By the way, just a couple last thoughts. Oklahoma needs to start spying these quarterbacks more. Purdy needed to be spied more. I don't upon that rewatch that big scramble on fourth down that he converted in the fourth quarter. There was nobody spying him on that play, and that was a play where Patrick Fields came up and you know, was one-on-one with Purdy in the open field and had no chance, and Purdy just put his foot in the ground. And, they need and to be him. using Kenneth Murray as a spy. Get him I out agree. of coverage and use him as a spy. I agree, and that's because Brewer's going to want to run, and when the pocket breaks down, Brewer likes to run. He's very fast, and he's athletic, and I'm just I'm surprised they haven't been spying. They didn't spy Purdy as much. So I just wanted to throw that out there, too. And one more thing. This is kind of an all-encompassing thing about Baylor that maybe I don't, I don't know – if I should leave it for later, but I don't want to forget about it. As I tweeted this out earlier today on Tuesday, a screen grab from the Texas Tech game. I mean, this is a team that could easily have three losses. And against Texas Tech, there was a moment in the second half in the fourth quarter where Baylor was down 20-17 to 17 with a minute 23 to go in the game, and they had a second down and 18-yard line from their own one and still was somehow able to win that football game. And it was largely because Charlie Brewer led him down the field throwing passes to the running back out of the backfield and hitting Tristan Ebner a couple of times on big plays and then setting up a field goal to put the game into overtime. So running backs out of the backfield and Denzel Mims seem to be some of the bread and butter for Baylor's offense. Baylor is number 13 in the college football playoff rankings. Oh, you got they're out, huh? Okay. Uh, well, yeah, they're they're doing it like five teams you know from a you know five teams like at a time so they just tweeted out numbers 11 through 15 texas is number 19 oklahoma state's 22 and kansas state is 24 um 
we can talk about this maybe later on in the show, Lee. But I'm starting to come around to the like when I actually look at the schedule and what's going on. Um, if OU wins out, they're going to be in the playoff. Yeah, let's save this for later because OU's number come ten. Out and okay, it's just let's stick with the flow of the podcast as we were. Let's move on to the other side of the ball. Okay, so Oklahoma's at number ten. Obviously, as you're listening to this podcast, you already know the answer to these. You already know what the rankings are because this comes out on Wednesday. Uh, let's flip it around. Oklahoma's offense, Baylor's defense. And this is an incredibly interesting setup because normally whenever it's been OU's offense versus Baylor's defense, it's we use the same line we use a lot in this podcast, Grant, when Oklahoma plays up against bad defenses. Well, OU's offense, you kind of be able to do whatever it wants, right? I mean, that certainly was the case last year when Oklahoma put up 66 on, on Baylor and had many explosive plays against that Bears defense in Norman. Now you flip it to this season and the Bears defense has – has been incredibly good, only allowing 337 yards a game. That's 31st in the nation. This number is phenomenal. Baylor's only giving up 4.6 yards per play, which is the best in the Big 12. I mean, 4.6 yards per play is phenomenal. That's great. I mean, you're under five yards per play. That's really good if you're playing in the Big 12. Uh, pass defense, rush defense, solid. I mean, they're, they're pretty good at stopping the run, only allowing 127 yards on the ground. The one weakness seems to be maybe third down percentage. The opponents are converting 39% of third downs. That's 70th, so kind of middle of the road in college football. And a big thing about this Baylor defense that is definitely new compared to the previous years, Baylor is preventing explosive plays. They've only allowed 27 plays that go 20 yards or more, which is top 10, which is number nine in the country. They've allowed only 13 plays of 30 or more yards. And they've allowed only four plays of 40 or more yards, which is seventh in the nation. But and also on top – oh, I was going to say on top of that, they're taking the ball away too. They forced 18 turnovers this season, which is tied for first in the Big 12 with Texas Tech. What is your but? They haven't played Oklahoma. <laughs> Who's the best offenses they've faced? Iowa State and Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. State. Oklahoma and State actually had had some success against their defense. Okay. So I mean they they scored they only scored twenty seven points, but I was looking. Uh, Oklahoma State Oklahoma had a twenty seven to twenty four lead with eight minutes to go in that game, and then Baylor just went on a twenty one to nothing run like in the last eight minutes of the game. Turnovers. That's what killed Oklahoma State in that game. It was twenty seven twenty four. And then Baylor took the lead, 31-27. And then Terrell Bernard, who is now the new middle linebacker for Clay Johnston, returned a fumble for a touchdown. And Oklahoma State lost another fumble later in the game. So here, here's so the thing. Yeah. I'm, when I watch Baylor, their defense is good. It is. They, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not smoke and mirrors. When you actually watch them, they look good. I think the obvious the obvious strength of their defensive line, or the obvious strength is their defensive line. James Lynch, the very likely Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year, and then Bravi and Roy are, are two really good defensive linemen. This is why I'm mostly concerned about Adrian Ely being out because I don't want R.J. Proctor and Eric Swinson, both guys tackles, playing out of position against what's probably the most impactful defensive line that they're going to see this season outside of a bowl game. And I, I just think, especially on the road. That's a recipe for disaster. Um, 
that that's that's what I'm concerned about in terms of the offensive line going up against them because they have had a very impactful D line and James Lynch is a guy you're you're probably going to have to double. Um, one thing I would like to see the offense do, I want them to pick on on um, uh, Brandon Terrell, I or Terrell, what, what's his name? Uh, Terrell Bernard. Terrell Bernard. <laughs> Sorry, of course I, I name dropped that earlier and I've, I just totally bungle it there. I want them to pick on Terrell Bernard. Um, I think I think him filling in for Clay Johnston, who got hurt about a month ago, um, who was who is arguably the best linebacker in the Big Twelve before he got hurt. I think that that transition has been a little too seamless, and I would really like OU to maybe try to exploit that guy a little bit. He had 19 tackles last game, three TFLs and a sack and an interception against TCU. The guy's arguably playing better than Johnston was when Johnston was in there. That's why I just, I don't, that sounds just a little too good to be true for Baylor. I, I would I would like to see him be challenged a little bit over the middle of the field. Yeah, could you imagine if Kenneth Murray went down with a season-ending injury and trying to think of who even would come in as a backup for him? Deshaun like, White would probably slide over, I would guess. And I mean, that's I think that's what happened with Bernard. I think Bernard slid over from the will spot to middle linebacker so yeah i mean can you imagine and then, if, so like, maybe Deshaun go after White? the will linebacker I mean, yeah. then yeah i that's interesting on your part yeah this this defense to me i asked lincoln riley about the defense and now i have to let's see let me bring this up again oh, of course i x out of my notes bear with me for one second it's a defense that seems to have iowa state type principles to me because the big plays are are gone and it's on purpose they're they're making sure that they keep everything in front of them and on Monday I asked Lincoln Riley what challenges this Baylor team presents them because you know I prefaced it with you know ever since Riley's been here the offense at Oklahoma's had a lot of success against this Baylor defense you know what makes this team different and Riley said that they've changed up quite a bit on that side of the ball this year. He said that they've changed up the scheme. And it also helps that you look over their personnel. It's a bunch of seniors and it's a bunch of juniors. He, Riley was like, you go over their, their starters and you, look, you see senior, 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 junior, junior, senior, senior, junior. So obviously the experience is there, even though Baylor wasn't very good last year. You return a lot of players. Experience is going to obviously help. And Riley also said that some of the guys have changed positions and it's worked out for them very well. And, and you look at Bernard, who obviously switched over from Will to middle linebacker to the Mike backer, you know, with Johnson going down. Uh, and then obviously Riley mentioned the fact they're taking the ball away a lot, a lot of turnovers. So uh, it's a 3 3 5 defense. And it's a defense, again, I think like to keep everything in front of them, get after it with their defensive line, and use the linebackers and one of those kind of roving, uh, roaming rover safeties in the middle of the field to maybe come up and help with the run, kind of like Iowa State does here and there. And it might be the same thing, Grant, as what you thought about Iowa State is Oklahoma needs to run the ball against Iowa State, and if they can run the ball against Iowa State, they should have a lot of success. If Oklahoma can run the ball against Baylor, and I know you're concerned about that with the offensive line, I think that's going to be the key yet again because when there's three down linemen, like that and you're relying on your linebackers to fill and set the edge a lot of the time I think there's ways to exploit that and get outside so 
I would like to see quite a bit of of misdirection in this game. Um, try try to try to get James Lynch out of the play, um, and and maybe confuse their linebackers a little bit. This this may be a game league similar to Iowa State where you where you got to lean on the run game, um, especially going up against the the, the three down linemen. Um, maybe try to get into the secondary and 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 test their test their defensive backs on and if they can tackle or not. So. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's tough because I just I don't, you know, Baylor's defense has been great this year. Like we said, I think the two best offenses they've faced are Iowa State and Oklahoma State. And actually, looking back at their other games, Texas Tech has by far had the most success against them this year than anyone else, um, which doesn't really add up in my mind. So, but I mean, there's always the qualifier out there. I mean, they they just Oklahoma's still a different animal. And you know what? Iowa State had really similar defensive numbers as Baylor did going into that game last week. And, I mean, OU had, what, 35 points and 400 yards of offense against against Iowa State in the first half. So, I, it's, you know, defensive numbers look great until until you're going up against a bunch of NFL guys who are just going up and down the field on you. Um, and I'm not saying that's certainly what's going to happen in this game. I mean, I, I think OU's going to score. But uh, it's, you know, what happens when... Is is Baylor able to make those flash plays on defense to kind of to turn the momentum and turn the tide really quickly? That's that's going to be the story of the game. And will Oklahoma's offense be a little more consistent and not have that second half swoon like we've seen the last two games? And I, you know, I watched back that Iowa State game trying to get more of a feel of Jalen Hurts and keeping the ball as opposed to handing the ball off. And if there was the same kind of issue in that game, like there were like, you know, there was perceived to be against Kansas State. And honestly, I didn't see it. I, I thought it was not an issue in that game as well. It, it seemed like he handed it off for the most part whenever he should have. He kept it either whenever it was clearly designed for him to keep or it was the right read. Problem with Jalen Hurts in that game is that he's throwing the football in the first half, he had those two balls that should have been picked off, and Lincoln Riley said that one of them, it was they knew the coverage, but let's see, how did he say it? I have it in my notes. It was one of them, they just, he, he just kind of blew it. <laughs> um, he said that one of them, Jalen knew the coverage, he just didn't see the defender there. And then the other one, he said that they just missed out on the coverage. And he says, we. You know, taking a little bit of the heat off of Jalen Hurts. So, I mean, that's the key against a really good defense. Did he see the coverage, though, if he didn't see the defender? That's a good question. Like, that's by definition, no, right? <laughs> so, so, that's the thing. I mean, he was locking on guys. Uh, I, I did notice a play that he made that was really nice in the second half of that game on a third down that CeeDee Lamb actually ended up dropping the ball, and it was whenever he was rolling out to his right, extending the play. And Jalen threw the ball back towards the towards the field, away from the defender. And CD, it wasn't an easy catch, but it was a catch that you'd expect CD Lamb to make. He had to adjust his body in the air, and he got both of his his hands on it, and he dropped it, and that would have been a first down. Uh, and so I, I thought, you know, you can, yeah, I think kind of rip rip on Jalen for a couple of things, but I think it's important to also remember that he is making some some big time positive plays too. Yeah, I think. I think Jalen Hurts' limitations are solely in the mental part of the game. It's processing speed and um, and I think identifying coverages and, and different defenders. I think I think that's what it is. Physically, he can make the throws. And we've seen it numerous times this year. He's dropped some dimes this year. Um, it's just I, I it's the processing power is not there. 
or the processing speed is not it's it's not on the same level as the other guys and he still has that tendency if his if his first read is gone or if he doesn't like the read he really does just like to tuck and run to his right and the book is out on that and so I'm I'm curious to see how uh, what Baylor does for that because I I noticed Lee and did you notice this on the rewatch but they had spears um, uh, they had spears uh, shadowing him most of the game. And it kind of seemed like mm-hmm. he was always on Jalen Hurts' right side, too. They knew. Yeah, yeah. Spears was shadowing him. He certainly he was the reason why Hurts threw that pick late in the game because Spears was spying him. And then once he realized that Hurts was leaving the pocket, he started closing on Hurts and forced him to throw it before he wanted to near the sideline. This, Iowa State had a really good defensive game plan and still gave up 42 points, but only seven in the second half. So halftime adjustments were key, not to mention there was a couple turnovers there. So... Yeah, that's. I like what I'm seeing from Jalen Hurts. Actually, when you kind of watch more of it, he's not as good as Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield. We know that uh, he needs to improve. He needs to get better, certainly. But it's not as bad, I think, as maybe some think it is. The last two games. And seeing- for the record, I enjoyed his press conference on Monday. I gave him a lot of flack at this time last week because I didn't like the way he handled himself in the presser. It was a lot like his post-game press conference against Iowa State on Monday. He was happy to answer questions. When he was asked about you know, reflecting on previous games or what he's learned, he didn't just say, I'm focusing on this week and I want to go 1-0. He acknowledged that, yep, it's important to look back and learn from previous experiences, and he was really happy to, to go into detail on things, and I appreciate that. So I, I like that Jalen Hurts, just his demeanor and his presentation – after the Iowa State game and so far this week has been a lot better, and that just makes me feel even more positive about him moving forward. What were you going to say? I was going to say, I think we're just we're seeing the difference between really good quarterback play and historically elite quarterback play. Sure, that's good. Well said. All right, Grant, it's that time of the show. What do you want to see happen Saturday when Oklahoma travels to Waco, you and I's favorite city in the Big 12, not really, and plays <laughs> Baylor on Saturday night. What do you want to see? I just want him to win, man. I want him to win. And I know this is – but this is where we are in this se- at this point in time in this season. Um, I, I'm, like, I'm, I'm not going to mince any word. I mean, that fourth quarter really put a bad taste in my mouth. Um, it's, gotten, it's gotten me really questioning the mindset of this team. And, um, and it's, it's not that they haven't had games like that you know, during this three out of four year run when they've gone to the playoffs. They have. In 2015, uh, Baker Mayfield got hurt against TCU at home in late November against a, a team against a TCU team that was that was starting like their third string quarterback, Bram Kohlhausen, I think. And that guy just went off in the second half, threw for like three hundred and fifty yards and three touchdowns. And Steven Parker had to break up a two point conversion to save their season that year too. Um I kind of recalled the attitude around the team being a lot different around that time, but I don't know. There's there's no reason why they cannot rebound and, and walk into Waco and come out with a win. It's going to be a challenge, mostly because I think Baylor is living kind of a charmed life this year. This might be kind of their year, but man, at the same time, they've had so many close calls where it's 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 going to have to come back and bite them eventually, right? So what I want to see the most is I want to see OU come out with a good attitude. I want to see them start fast. I think it's really important because Baylor has actually had a tendency this year not to start fast, especially on offense. It's taken them a while to get going a little bit. 
it would be great if the Sooners were up by two scores by the time that Baylor kind of decides to get it going. Um, I think that's going to be really important going forward. So the thing I'm going to look out uh, the most for is is do they get off to a fast start? And also, I I would really like to see the defensive line uh, just assert their dominance up front against what I what against what I think is you know really not one of the better offensive lines they've seen this season. Um, and that's a matchup that they're going to have to win and win decisively to win this game. I think. For me. I like that. Fast start's important because we saw a fast start against Iowa State, and the word that we heard a lot last week heading into the Iowa State game was urgency. Urgency at practice, playing with urgency. Kenneth Murray said it. CeeDee Lamb said it. And Oklahoma started the Iowa State game with a sense of urgency on both sides of the football, jumping out to a 14 nothing lead. And that sense of urgency went away. And you could make the argument that it went away in the middle part of the maybe late first quarter, early second, whenever Oklahoma's defense started getting beat, but then it kind of came back a bit, and they righted the ship. And offensively, it didn't really go away up until the start of the second half. But after halftime, there was no sense of urgency. Uh, they kind of rested on their laurels up by three touchdowns against a really good team, and, and it, almost, it almost came back to ruin their season. So I agree with you on the fast start. The defensive line dominance thing is good, too, because I think Oklahoma has faced two pretty darn good offensive lines the past two weeks. And if you're correct about how this Baylor, you don't think this Baylor offensive line is is all that great, if it's a step down from Kansas State and a step down from Iowa State, I'm interested to see how that plays out. So I would like also like to see some defensive line play as well, uh, them getting after the quarterback and, and them controlling the line of scrimmage and, and preventing those chunk run plays that we've seen the last two weeks. Also, goes without saying at this point, but I'm going to say it. I want to see a turnover, at least one takeaway. And Lincoln Riley was asked about it on Monday. He said it's fair. It is fair to say that the lack of takeaways is mental now. He does think that they're thinking about it. Uh, as far as players go, Parnell Motley was asked about that. And Motley says he doesn't necessarily think that they're pressing. He says that, uh, well, I don't know if this is a, a word that we can use, but, uh, but Parnell Motley said it, and I think it's, Interesting enough to say on the podcast, he said, you know what? You got to be a prick to get the ball out. They just need to keep trying. And that's what Parnell Motley said. Uh, and on that, the subject of him dropping that interception, he was asked about that. And he said, yeah, he said that was really frustrating. He said, yeah, I felt it on my shoulder. It was there and I needed to kind of move my body to get it. But, you know, when I moved my shoulder to try to get the ball, it, it fell down and I didn't catch it. And he said, but you know what? That's not an excuse. You've got to expect the ball to come to you when those turnovers are gifted like that. And he says that that was a gift that could have changed the momentum of the game early on, and he let his teammates down for not making that play. So exactly kind of what we were saying about that play, Parnell Motley acknowledged that. That's what happened. So I don't know if that matters at all, but it's positive that he's acknowledging that. So I want to see some takeaways. Shocking, I know. Hey, Piemont had another really good game in coverage, by the way, against Iowa State. Yeah, I thought so too. He's had a really, really nice season. And also, too, I put out on Twitter on Tuesday a play that he was getting egregiously held on a third down play in the first series of I the totally third missed that live. That was awful. And see, that, that was two holding calls, blatant, that they didn't. And one of them, they waved off. Uh, yeah, and the, the second one in the fourth quarter, they threw the flag, but then they, they waved it off. 
And granted, I know that you could call, and that's what I said on the tweet, you can call holding on every single play, but some holding penalties are so egregious. But when it's when outside the them, tackle like, box, on. and it's... I know, and the play was coming right at him. I mean, it was... I mean, I think that was the reason why the play was successful because if that holding isn't committed, Parnell gets off the block. Oh, and I know Ronnie Perkins misses the tackle, but Motley's there to help Perkins make the tackle. Yeah, they if 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 Motley's not held on that play, Brees Hall is stopped for a gain of like two or three, and drives over. So, but yeah, you know, they throw the flag and they back him up ten yards, and it's third down and twenty or whatever it would have been. So, you know, I mean, Oklahoma should have tackled better, sure, but point that out and just to be fair if there's any Iowa State fans listening yes we know that Oklahoma probably got away with a pass interference on that two-point play but again you watch it live and in and it's it's kind of you understand why they didn't throw the flag because you don't really see it that blatantly until you slow it down really you know a lot and that holding penalty was pretty easy to see live I mean and the more I think about it I you know what you really got to question Iowa State's decision making on that play, throwing at at Parnell Motley, and not and not just instantly default going to Charlie Kohler. What on earth were they yeah. thinking? I don't know. I you know Brock Purdy wants that back big time. Whoever decided to to go to Petway instead of go to Kohler, who who had just shook off Patrick Fields for the second straight snap because Patrick Fields was the guy on Kohler on the touchdown pass. There was some debate and, uh, on uh, on OU Twitter today about whether or not that was offensive pass interference against Charlie Kohler. It was not offensive pass interference. No. No. It was not. So I want to see a takeaway, guys. And uh, lastly, Kenneth Murray was talking about on Monday, he was asked, what are the problems, you know, the last two games? Why do you think the defense has not been as good? And he said two things, lack of focus and not doing our jobs. I know it sounds generic, but I'll take his word for it. So I want to see more focus on the defensive end and do your damn jobs, guys. Play better against a, a pretty darn good Baylor offense and right the ship. So that's what I want to see defensively. Offensively, I want to see him be able to run the football, even though the offensive line might be an influx. Don't know Adrian Ely's, uh, don't know Adrian Ely's status at this point. Also, too, I want to see CeeDee Lamb have another big game. I guess Jamison Houston, a defensive back for Baylor, shut down Jalen Rager pretty well. I wasn't able to go back and rewatch that game all the way through, but Rager was was held in check, and so I'd like to see C.D. Lamb. Hasn't Rager been held in check a vast majority of the season? Well, granted, Rager doesn't have as good a quarterback play as Oklahoma or a good a good offense, so it's tough for him to do much. But I'd like to see C.D. Lamb have a little bit more success against Baylor's secondary than Jalen Rager did. As far as what will happen in this game, I got to give a, a qualifier on this one. Last week we kind of gave half-hearted what's going to happen predictions because you and I are both in the same mindset of, I don't know what's going to go on in this game. And we both kind of thought that all the points that Iowa state was getting based on how Iowa state's been playing this year, that uh, taking the points seemed to be the the right call in a betting perspective. So I'm going to give another one of those this week because I, I don't know what to expect from Oklahoma because now it's two weeks in a row of, of subpar defense, but also you throw in, I think a lot of it was really good offense by Iowa state, but also Baylor's incredibly capable of having, very good offense as well. So Oklahoma's a 10-point favor right now on the road. I feel the same exact way as far as a betting perspective. I think you got to lean and, and take the points with Baylor. That's too many points for a team that's undefeated this year and sure has a lot of close wins, but 
no losses, and Baylor's been in every single game, obviously. So uh, Oklahoma winning by 10 points or more would be certainly a very impressive victory the way both teams are playing right now. So I think as far as a, you know, the line, the side, I think you got to play Baylor if you're going to play this game. As far as what's going to happen, though, I think Oklahoma's going to win the game. I'm a lot more positive right now, I know, than you are, Grant, and it might be misplaced positiveness because of just I'm kind of projecting a bit because I want this Oklahoma season to continue to matter. I'm taking a lot of it from Jalen Hurts' press conferences recently. I know that's not very scientific, but I like his attitude. I like the way that he is adjusted and and his outward his outward presentation publicly I think is better than it was the, the week before and I want to I think he might have been humbled a bit which I think is important for Jalen Hurts because I think he was walking on air for the most part of this year because he was in a new offensive system with Lincoln Riley Lincoln Riley had unlocked him he was having easily the best season of his career if not the best season of any quarterback this year except for maybe Joe Burrow statistically it's, and so I think it's important that he has been somewhat humbled recently. And you know what? Maybe he has realized that you know not all these Big 12 defenses are terrible, like he probably thought when he was at Alabama. They're He's better realized, coordinated eh, they, than the ones that he saw in the SEC. <laughs> they are. And especially when you're going against Iowa State and you're going to go up against a good Baylor team. Maybe he's taking these teams a little bit. Not that he wasn't taking them seriously, because I don't think that's the kind of player he is. He's not the kind of guy that's going to overlook anybody. But it could be kind of subconscious in a way, where he did kind of have a little bit of a – a thought towards the Big 12 that it's not as sharp or as sturdy as maybe he thought it was. And now he got a test of a Kansas State team middle of the road, and that defense gave him some problems in Manhattan on the road. And then Iowa State's defense turned him over, turned you know turned him over one time, a bad pick, and was able to slow them down to only seven points in the second half. I, I like to think that him being having things be put in perspective will make him prepare even more than he has been. And I think the defense, I don't anticipate the defense to have a, a bang-up game by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't think the defense is going to have a bad game. I think the defense is going to play okay. I don't, I don't anticipate Oklahoma to cover this spread, though, at this point, but I do think Oklahoma is going to win. And just like last week, I don't know the score, guys. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm not going to predict a score because this game could easily be one of those random weird Baylor games where it's super low scoring. They've had plenty of them this year. And it wouldn't surprise me, honestly, if Oklahoma's offense was held in check more than you would expect. So I don't, how many points is that? I, I mean, I'd be shocked if Oklahoma didn't score 28 points. But uh, I think Oklahoma wins the game, but I think Baylor stays inside that number. That's my half-hearted kind of what will happen in this game. Grant, what do you think? Well, Lee, they've – I mean – They've scored 30 points in every single game since that home loss to Ohio State in 2016. So no, they haven't. What? You said they've scored 30 points in every game since then? Isn't it? Isn't that, isn't no. that when the streak started? Nope. I made this mistake a few weeks ago as well when I was thinking about this. You're forgetting about one pretty important game in there where they did not score 30 points. And they only had the ball for maybe like 15 minutes in the game. Army. Yep. Geez, so they still have like so I know their their streak of scoring 30 straight is like by far the longest in the country and it's only been since the Army game last year? Yeah, they only scored 28 in that game. Interesting. And also by the way, I I'm I was fond last year of saying that Army team wasn't very good and they returned literally like everybody from that team this year and I what they have like 3 wins this year. They only have three wins this year? Yeah, they're oh, not boy. very good. 
They were they, they were living they were living a very charmed life last season. <laughs> well, oh, something happened to the Army team. Anywho, but, I have to give my prediction, don't I? Yeah, you have to give me give me your uh, what's going to happen in this game. So I don't know. I here's it. I I don't want to be negative. I I don't want to do it. Like I don't. It's just you can be. There's nothing wrong with it. So I'll do this. I mean, I already was. I'm the positive one in this one. You could easily be negative if you want. So I'll do this. My feeling that I have going to the game is that OU is about to walk into a loss. That, that's, that's just how I feel. Um, however, I think all things being equal, if you're actually going to break down the game like intellectually, like honestly, this is a game Oklahoma should win. They should. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a game they probably should win by double digits. Um, I just, I, I don't know. Things feel off. Things feel weird. And I, I just, I don't have a great feeling about the game. If, but, you know, on the flip side of that, if you remember, I was very, very adamant last year that they were walking into a buzzsaw in Morgantown the end of November, and they still pulled that game out somehow. I have no idea how. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, pretty much every single time that I've spelled doom and gloom for this team since last season, they have proved me wrong. So, um, but yeah, I, I don't feel good. I, I If put a gun to my head right now, I think they're going to lose. 6.30 kick in Waco on Saturday. Weather shouldn't be an issue. High on that day is 59. Probably, you know, during the game, it'll probably be in the, you know, low 50s, 40s, something like that. So it'll be somewhat chilly, but clear. So weather, not a factor, uh, which is not surprising because it's Texas in mid-November. <laughs>